Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. Hello again, everybody. Happy Wednesday to you. Tom Block with you. And celebrate for a second straight week. Keith Jones not by my side. He is uh, on the road with the basketball team again. It gives you a uh, a peek behind the curtain at what it's like to actually be on the basketball team and how often they are gone. But they left yesterday, played a night on the road at Louisville, as you know. And Keith will join me next segment, and we'll talk some Florida State basketball uh, in the interim. I'll say hello to uh, the man, the myth, the legend, Tom Lang, who's on the other side of the glass. I've always wanted to use that phrase, so I just did. Tom, how are you? Well, it's true, though. See, it's nice that when it works, and it's actually true. It is a true statement. I do like the interim tag, too. I'm not afraid of that at all. Well, good. Yeah. Bring it. Uh, Basketball trending up since last we had this discussion, and uh, of course... It's like baseball and the next day's starting pitcher. When you're in the ACC, you look at that and you're like, well, yeah, two in a row, but we're at Louisville. Yeah, what a difference a week makes. I mean, this time last week, the best thing that we could talk about was the college football national championship game because we were just so awe-inspiring. And now you turn in a 2-0 week, you make some big shots, you play some defense this past weekend against Virginia. Things are looking up, and all of a sudden, with Clemson keeping on winning against high-caliber ACC opponents, you could say that Florida State hasn't suffered a bad ACC loss yet, and you could say that with conviction. I would agree with that, although Clemson did, and this wasn't a bad loss, but they lost to Virginia last night. so the Cavs get back on track. I, you know, I don't want to sell Florida State basketball short because they, have, uh, they haven't turned the corner, but they're heading the right direction the last couple of games. I, Virginia, to me, is not as good a team as what they were the last couple of years. I mean, I know the jury's still out, and, and uh, I'm not saying they're, they're you know, flatlining here. They're still a good quality team. But I, I, th- I don't think it was all just FSU playing well the other night. No, I, I don't think Virginia can attack the 10 off the dribble because that's Florida State's number one Achilles heel on defense. And I'm thinking through the first half, do they not know the scouting report or are they just not capable? And then about six minutes into the second half, you see a couple possessions where they finally can get penetration and either go straight to the 10 themselves or distribute and get an easy basket. And I think the Cavs have finally figured it out that this is the pattern, but then they couldn't do it. So, you know, I, I think it's a little column A, a little column B, certainly. And the ACC in general this year, it seems to be turned on its head. It's a league where Virginia Tech only has one loss so far, where Clemson's five and two in conference and Duke has lost three straight. And you could argue they haven't beaten a good team in the ACC. It's a really weird year. And, and so Florida State, I don't know what to term them just yet. Yeah, well, I mean, when Duke has the same amount of losses as FSU in conference, that puts things in perspective uh, as to just how difficult the league it is. I know we say that every year. It's sort of like what people say about SEC football, but uh, what's different about it, interestingly to me, is that the SEC in football, regardless of whether it's an up year or down year, it seems to always get that pass that it's the SEC, whereas the ACC, we talk about this in basketball and then at tournament selection time, other leagues get more teams than the ACC in, which is, I, I don't know who you pin that on, but that's something that, that shouldn't be. It's on the PR people because they're not pushing the message strong enough in the ACC where it's just this known thing as it is in the SEC. Whether it's true or not, it's it's perceived to be true every single year. Not so in basketball. Yeah, and uh, we'll see. this Now, this year, I do feel like the ACC is trending even further up than it's been in, in some other good years in terms of the quality uh, or the quantity uh, of depth in the league. And, and we'll see. FSU, it's going to be an interesting road. It certainly gets a little bit easier in coming weeks. How about NC State just, you know, completely waxing Pitt last night? Where did that come from? Yeah, what was that, a 21-point advantage at the break? Yeah, I, I don't know where that came from. but I don't know either, and I don't know what that means for the Pitt game. Obviously, Louisville is more important because it's the game right in front of you, but I don't know what that means for what this Pitt team is going to be like when it comes down here. Are they going to be beaten and in a slump, or are they going to be angry because NC State sent a message? Yeah, who knows? It's uh, it's dicey in the ACC. That's uh, that's not anything new, but that's certainly true this year. All right, Keith Jones is at Louisville. Uh, he'll get his look at that uh, terrific basketball home, the uh, the Yum Center tonight when he and Gene call the action there. I, I took a tour of that, and I'll discuss this with Keith, when FSU football played up there a year ago, and that, that facility is unbelievable. Yeah, they invest as a program, don't they? I mean, the ACC has been clamoring, and, and not just football, but basketball has been their love, and it's Kentucky, and that's what you do. And it's it's murderer's row. I mean, this is what Leonard Hamilton talked about when Syracuse came in, when Pitt comes in, and now Louisville and the most recent Notre Dame, too. 
you say, is there a break? There's a break coming to a degree for Florida State in about two or three games, but that's a program that if you could steal a win up there, and that's back-to-back road wins in the ACC, you bring that momentum back home at 500 in conference, who knows where this team can go? Yeah, well, if they got to 500 in conference with Pitt coming in, that'd be that'd be tremendous. I mean, I think most of us at this point would take one and one over the next two and then try to turn the corner as the schedule softens a little bit. But Yeah, if you can split this week, that is a win, and you take it and run. It's not the worst thing in the world if you go 0-2, but a split is definitely something they're looking for. All right, well, let's change gears totally just for a couple of minutes here, Tom, uh, because we were having an off-air conversation about recruiting. We're two weeks from signing day. I've been around it long enough. Uh, this is an oversimplification. Certainly, as it relates to Jimbo and his staff, they're great evaluators of talent. I have no no doubts that they're going to sign a good class. Now, whether the good class ranks third, fourth, fifth, eighth, tenth, depending on which recruiting uh, site you follow, I don't know, but I, I trust in that. But but having been in around it, I, I used to cover recruiting for the Osceola back in the day in the early 90s. Wow. And then I was doing sports talk radio when Scott Bentley committed. I remember having him on the radio when he came from Colorado to come to FSU, and he was the Sports Illustrated cover boy. And what do you know? He ended up winning a national title with that with that kick in the Orange Bowl. But anyway, the point being, over the years, and it's gotten better, but it's still an inexact science. You know, some kids are overrated. Some kids are not rated as high as they should be. Um, you're going to get your share if you're at a place like Florida State. You're not going to get all of them. I know that's I'm painting it in broad strokes. So uh, I don't get as hung up in who was here this weekend and what was his latest tweet. Now, you may or others certainly do. I know this. Um, but I sleep peacefully at night knowing that I'm not worried about what an 18-year-old said yesterday or today or five minutes ago. I'm going to pawn that off on the others. Uh, I don't get worked <laughs> up like that. Uh, I've had experience working for a couple of recruiting sites, most recently Warchan, but I've worked on the 24-7 Sports Network too. And while I was more on the team side of things, it's all hands on deck as you get to National Signing Day. So I've been through these things um, once or twice. And I can say in recent history – last three or four recruiting cycles, I don't remember as many selections coming down to actual signing day as Florida State will have this particular year. Schedule's not out yet. ESPNU certainly will dictate what happens and when. Right. But this is a, this is actually a signing day where Florida State doesn't have 90% of its class wrapped up. There's going to be four or five kids that, that these coaches are going to want, that the fans are going to want, that the recruitniks are going to want, and uh, we'll just be watching like everybody else. So I'm sure the war room and, and Jimbo Fisher's office are going to be busy on that day. That That's interesting because that's kind of a turn back to the way it used to be, and, yeah. and we'd kind of gotten away from that a little bit where most of the hay is in the barn by the time you get to signing day. Um, I always share this. I don't know if you and I have talked about it, but anytime I relay this to people, they get this uh, – uh, um, sort of crazy look because they had forgotten this time. But when I worked for the Osceola, which Jerry Kutz obviously uh, owned and operated, I wasn't a writer for him, but uh, they did all the legwork and called the recruits, but they didn't want to uh, – this is pre-internet. And so the only way you could get news, it would be a week old when the Osceola came out, or they had a 900 hotline that you would call. Well, they hired me to be the voice of the 900 hotline. And so just think about it. This is in my lifetime. Probably, I don't know about yours, but it was in yeah. my lifetime, obviously. So you were a voice on a 900 hotline. That's what, I, that's what I'm saying. Okay. But it was a buck 99 for the first minute, and I think 99 cents for every minute thereafter. But literally, literally, uh, Jerry and Daniel Mitchell, who I'm good buddies with, used to write for the Osceola. They would basically write a script, but they didn't want to be the voice on the thing, so they hired me to be the voice. And the numbers, I, I should have I should have beaten Gene Williams to the punch based on this because the traffic all year long would be not very much, not very much. January, February, I mean, it was like the phone wouldn't stop ringing. It was through some company in Pennsylvania. So I should have seen it coming at that point, but it just goes to show. I mean, we're talking 25 years ago, and people were thirsting for recruiting info, and they call. I bet there's listeners right now to the front row that that spent some money listening to me calling that 900 hotline. That's incredible. I never thought I'd get to meet somebody who voiced the 900 hotline, and I never thought it would be a guy. Yeah, so now, yeah, well, it's not what you think. Well, here's here's the kicker, and Jerry Kutz tells this story better than I do, but uh, when Derek Brooks was announcing, and I don't remember if I was the one voicing it at this point or not. I probably was because it would have been the same time frame when he was coming out of high school. We forgot about the time change with Pensacola. So we said, you know, he's going to announce at his high school banquet or whatever at 4 p.m. or whenever it is. So everybody calls in while well, it was 4 p.m. Central. 
So that was just extra buck ninety nine for that first minute to apologize, and everybody had to call back an hour later. I mean, I'm not sure how many uh, subscriptions Jerry had to comp on that one, but uh, that that got us in a little bit of trouble. Yeah, now Twitter's free, so unfortunately, and now Twitter's free. Yeah, yeah so you don't need the nine hundred hotline. But anyway, that's a true story. It's, it has certainly evolved. That was back, and then it, it, to take it the next step, and I'm sure some of these publications are still out, but it was you know Max Emfinger and Alan Wallace, and you'd get sort of like the preseason football guide, only it was for recruiting. And that would be where you'd get it. Now it's all, it's so much of it's online. So I, little did I know, you're about uh, two decades, three decades into being a recruiting vet. Yeah, well, so I, I guess the point is in the 90s, I really did follow recruiting. And I was also working in local TV here. So I can remember being at the, at the signing. Uh, well, they were both from FAMU High when Ron Dugans and Theon Rackley signed to come F- to FSU when Ernie Sims who now uh, is on this air, on these airwaves a couple nights a week when he signed out of North Florida Christian. Um, signing day uh, when you work in local TV is pretty crazy because just as you're saying, that schedule's coming up. We would just, uh, Channel 6 and Channel 27, we'd race from one high school to the next and the Democrat to see which local kid is signing and who they're signing with. It's a busy day for us, too, here at the station, uh, but it's not nearly as bad or busy as it was when I was working for the digital publications. At least now, for part of the show, the Cameron Show, we can pot up Jimbo's press conference and you know kick back and just listen to Coach talk for 20 minutes. And we say, thank you, Coach. Explain it all for us. The craziest thing about this to my knowledge, they still use a fax machine, don't they? Yes. So we're still using a fax machine, yes. which should have gone out the window about the time the 900 hotline went out the window <laughs> with me. But in, but instead, this is still the technology we're using today to figure out if a kid's coming to your school. Unbelievable. All right, enough of that signing day talk. But that, just a little perspective for those of you who are new to following this and kind of the evolution of it. That's That's how it's evolved over the years. It's much more instantaneous now. And uh, one thing I really don't like, just to finish it up, people who are tweeting at prospects and all that, just leave that alone. I got no time for that. I don't either. I don't follow those folks that do things like that. Yeah. Not that my follow is, you know, some sort of certification of approval, but man, leave the kids alone. It's the biggest day in their young lives. I don't even. I don't even follow. Uh, I don't know if I follow a current FSU athlete. As a matter of fact, and I know plenty of people do and have some interaction there, and I get that it gives you interaction. Uh, I don't need to see most of what 18 to 22 year olds are tweeting. And if it's anything of significance, all the media I follow will retweet it for me anyway. So I just kind of clear the clutter and, and, and opt not to follow most of them. Efficiency lessons. Efficiency. Lessons. Yeah. yeah. All right. Keith Jones, uh, who does not know a thing about Twitter and uh, probably still gets a weekly newspaper and may still call 900 hotlines. I don't know. But he's going to join us next from Louisville and we'll talk FSU hoops when we continue on the front row. Listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979ESPNRadio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. Welcome back, and that stinger correct uh, for this segment because Keith Jones is on the horn from Chile, White. Louisville, Kentucky. I guess there's snow on the ground there, KJ. Is that correct? No, snow is on the ground, Tommy. Snowed overnight, maybe an inch or so. And every now and then I look out the uh, little picture window I've got here on the 11th floor of the Marriott in downtown Louisville, and there's a little slow flurry. I think I think as a southerner I can call it a flurry and get away with it. I mentioned in the first segment, uh, as you've been on the road the last two weeks, that it gives our listeners uh, an idea of what it's like to travel for basketball. I, you know, we always get in these discussions about football and taking the kids out of class, blah, blah, blah. Football doesn't miss class or, or have travel issues compared to every other sport uh, at all. And basketball is right at the top of the list with this. But the other component that goes with the ACC is that uh, not only are you traveling a lot midweek and at crazy hours, Keith, you travel to some cold places. I mean, it's, it seems like the BC game is always uh, – you know, about February 3rd in Boston or something god-awful like that. Well, and don't discount Pittsburgh or Syracuse or every now and then, even in, uh, in Tobacco Road, it can get cold. Not- yeah, uh, Notre Mr. Dame. Mr. Deckerhoff and I wandered out last night to a little local restaurant, and it was uh, 22 degrees outside. Well, it was 28 here this morning in Tallahassee. That might have been at like 3 in the morning. Um, 
but uh, that's what uh, Rob Nicotola told me anyway is in terms of the low for Tallahassee. But the good thing is basketball is played inside, so let's uh, shift there and talk about this. Uh, FSU, since last we had this discussion, Keith, has uh, won two big games in a row. Obviously, uh, every game's you know, the more you win, the more the next game becomes even bigger, and, uh, and tonight's another opportunity for them. But what's been different in these last two games compared to the first three for FSU? Uh, two words, defense. Uh, Florida State has finally found a little bit of its footing uh, on the defensive side of the court. Uh, started with playing a little zone and a little bit of a of a press, uh, you know, against NC State just to slow things down. And then last time out versus Virginia, you know, the Seminoles held the Cavaliers to just 39% floor shooting. Uh, by far their best defensive performance for 40 minutes against anybody. ACC or otherwise, and uh, that's been the big difference. Uh, maybe, maybe as they say, that little light has come on, and uh, the kids, particularly Beasley and, and uh, Bacon and, and Terrence, uh, you know, have have found their footing, so to speak, on the defensive end of the court because that's where it started. Well, XRM made some comments to the media when asked about, you know, sort of the same question I just asked that. Uh, they maybe were a little too full of themselves in terms of how good they thought they were. And uh, sometimes, well, not sometimes, just about all the time, losses will bring that uh, into much uh, more clear focus. Uh, so is it as easy as that? As easy as uh, some big-time guys stepping back and saying, you know what, we do have to work hard? I guess I'm wondering, you know, can, can we expect this Im- improvement in terms of defensive effort and execution to continue just because they get it now and, and that light is on? You certainly would hope so, and I think the two go hand-in-hand. You know, as they say, the first uh, step in correcting a problem is recognizing that you have the problem and fully understanding it. I think what X was speaking to is that, you know, they got off to that 12-2 to 2 start, which was a little bit un- unexpected from the standpoint of playing so many youngsters. And maybe they did get a little full of themselves, uh, go through that 0-3 start in the ACC, finally listen to the coaches, apply those defensive principles that Coach Hamilton talks about, and bingo, bingo, you get two wins, that certainly will make you pay a lot more attention during practice and film session as you move forward, one would think. I asked you last week at this time who the leader of this team is, and neither of us really had a definitive answer to that. It appears to me that Devin Booker is is maybe assuming that role a little bit, if for nothing else, uh, the fact that he's a senior and he's leading the ACC in three-point shooting right now in conference games. You know, I don't know if it's because there was a vacuum and he's just being drawn into it because he's he's a likely candidate, or whether he made an intentional decision on his own or in consultation with coaches or, or other players. But the bottom line is he's been more vocal in the last two ball games than I've seen him in his entire career. And obviously he's shooting the ball tremendously well. He's six of seven uh, from three land over the last couple of ball games. Uh, worked his way in. Many people may not realize, but he's the 10th best three-point shooting guard, or any player for that matter, in the history of AACC. 10th best ever from a percentage standpoint, and he has played like that over the last couple of ball games. Well, there was a time early in his career, a much smaller sample size, obviously, but pre some of the injuries that he was top three or top two even in that percentage. And I, again, you are no, correct. You are correct. Comparing one year versus four is is a different deal. But he's always had that ability. I guess when you grow up in Alaska, you know, and uh, as uh, he talks about, the sun was out twenty four seven pretty much for half the year. Uh, that's that's what you work on. <laughs> well, that, that and the, the, the other nineteen months out of twelve. Or however long it is, it's so cold you stay inside. <laughs> Unless you're playing video games, go out on the court and lost a few. Yeah, it feels like 19 months out of 12, I'm sure. All right, we're talking with Keith Jones, who is, uh, for the second straight week, uh, I guess this is an excused absence, KJ, since you're on the road with basketball, so I'll allow this one. But uh, uh, we will get the band together uh, again back uh, in studio in, in tandem next week. Th- this I, game, I, I'd like to get back. I, mean, I, I miss Tom Lane. Well, he misses you as well. He, <laughs> not not a whole lot, but uh, he asked me to at least try to fake it for him. Understood. The uh, the Yum Center, I know you'll get a look at this uh, tonight. I share a little story, and, and um, you know, why not embellish? Because that's what we do in talk radio, because I may not have these facts entirely correct. But when FSU football played at Louisville a, a year and a half ago, or whenever that was, the comeback game on a Thursday night, I, I took a tour of the Yum Center with some folks from FSU, 
and A, it's absolutely tremendous. But what you don't realize uh, necessarily from the outside or unless you've spent time in Louisville, Louisville is not a pro town. And so they are all in on the Cardinals athletic program as if it's their pro team. And it's reflected in that arena. And whoever was giving us the tour, I can't the, – the event management company, I can't remember – I don't think that Louisville gets sort of the first right of refusal on concert acts and whatnot coming to that. But they certainly uh, – you know, they can protect certain areas of the arena, their locker room and all that. There was a story about Paul McCartney wanted – or somebody – I don't know if it was Paul McCartney. Somebody wanted to – eat his, his pre-concert meal in the Louisville locker room and they shut that down. But I think the, the point I'm making is that men's and women's basketball for Louisville, I think does have say on, you know what, that's great that so-and-so wants to play here on that day, but we kind of need the arena. So you're going to have to take your business elsewhere, which I mean, just shows how big a brand Louisville is and how important it is in that town. Well, and you couple that with uh, Papa John stadium, which is just a couple of miles away from uh, the Yum center. We, we drove by that uh, on the bus. Uh, when we uh, deplaned uh, when we got here last night, you know that that as a comp, uh, college uh, uh, venue is about as good for you know those smaller intimate uh, stadiums as anywhere in the country. Now you add the Yum Center, uh, and not only that, Louisville plays so well in it. The Yum Center. Uh, look this up, Tommy. This this is the sixth season uh, that Louisville has been playing in the and that's technically called the KFC Yum exclamation point center uh they've lost 13 ball games they're pretty good here well and to that point that brings us back into the discussion about tonight's game how does florida state stay in this game and uh what are the chances they can actually pull off this upset tonight well the the, the chances are good they're not great i mean this is a truly good louisville ball club they're number one in the country in opponents uh scoring percentage they hold opponents at just 36 percent from the floor they're second in the country in defensive scoring. Opponents averaging just a little under 58 points a ball game. It will take a tremendous defensive effort for Florida State as well, because uh, the margin of uh, winning margin for Louisville is number one in the country. They're defeating opponents 23 points a ball game, averaging 80.5. So a bunch of numbers to say that once Florida State gets on the court, they're going to have to have a tremendous defensive effort get some transition buckets, and they're going to have to play well offensively, particularly in shot selection, against this very good Louisville defense. The the guy that's the X factor, and uh, Gene and I will mess this name up. Uh, I don't know what the over and under should be in terms of number of mistakes, but they've got a sophomore center in uh, Anunnaku who, who is an absolute beast, Tommy. He's averaging 11.4 points a ball game, 10.9 rebounds over his last eight contests. And Boris and Jarquez and whoever else gets in the five are going to have their hands full tonight. Yeah, it sounds like we should just pencil him in for like 25 and 17, which is scary. Uh, Talk about uh, Jarquez because he was a different guy the other night in that little burst in the first half than what we've seen. I mean, to me, he's been a a timid kind of falling away from the basket. The other night, there was some aggression in there. Where did that come from? Well, the, the coaches uh, have asked him and, and pleaded with him and finally got him to the point where he needs to front up and not play with his back to the basket. So instead of trying to back a defender down and use the little hook shot or get a, get a pump fake or a head fake and go the other way, they're asking him to turn around and face up uh, the opponent and use his quickness as opposed to uh, you know trying to back down in a normal setting. Uh, the result of that is he's averaging about seven points a ball game over the last three contests, and that doesn't sound like a whole lot. But remember, and he was averaging under four points a ball game prior to that, so he's he's basically doubled his production over the last three ball games. And I think the biggest part of that is because he's uh, facing up and not playing with his back to the basket. You mentioned that Louisville is uh, tough in terms of field goal percentage defense. Florida State, the last two games, is shooting. 50% from beyond the arc. That's NC State and Virginia. Now, the simple answer is they have better shooters, and Booker went four for four one game, and Beasley went three for three the next. But uh, those shooters were on the team earlier this year, so why are those shots going down now? Shot selection. In other words, the threes that they're taking now are after the ball has been moved around and players are, you know, defenders are out of position. They're, they're getting much better looks from three than they were three, four, five ball games ago. And Coach Hamilton talked about, particularly when Florida State went through what, what, what 
I would call a little bit of a slump uh, from distance when they were down in the 20s in terms of their percentage. This is a very good Florida State shooting team when they take good shots. Uh, and I realize that's redundant and simplistic, et cetera, et cetera. But that's the bottom line. When they get good looks because they've moved the ball around, put themselves in position, work without the basketball to get open, they can knock down some threes and, 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 and do very well from distance. I remember talking about this last year when Louisville came in because it was the first time FSU and Louisville had played in some time. But uh, Tom and I already revisited the early 90s. I had to paint the picture for him in black and white since he wasn't around to really uh, have a, a clear vision of it. But Were you able to use uh, a color uh, or crayons, rather, or did you have to go with the colored pencils? Uh, it was it was a combination of both, but you okay. you know you do what you can do to get the job done. But uh, Charlie Ward, who we remember for his football prowess, uh, hit about a twenty eight foot shot against Louisville in the Metro Conference Championship game in nineteen ninety one, which was the last time FSU and Louisville played prior to when Louisville came to Tallahassee last year. But the point is, these teams used to have a rivalry in the Metro days. Louisville in the 80s had won a couple of national titles. They had Denny Crum. I can remember Purvis Ellison when he came to the, the Tucker Center, which I think was just the Civic Center at that point. I don't recall. but uh, So they, they do have a little bit of an intertwined history from back in those days. No question. And one of the oddities or uh, things that are unusual, Denny Crum used to come down a day early, Tommy. And go fishing. And go fishing at Lake Jackson. Uh, he loved to fish Lake Jackson. And, and as an aside, and uh, bringing it back around, remind our listeners that Charlie will be uh, in Tallahassee on Saturday, Florida State's game versus Pitt. Uh, Charlie will be in town. Uh, he's doing a, 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 dad's, a pro dad's event at the uh, IPF uh, facility Saturday morning. He'll be at the basketball game Saturday uh, afternoon. Though uh, it'll be Pitt in town, not Louisville, but uh, to, just to bring those stories uh, in a 360 closure. Well, and, and with that said, you said 360 closure. I'll, I'll cut you off here. I'll let you go uh, back on your way. Call a great one tonight, uh, KJ, and I look forward to being back by your side next week uh, when you're not you on the road for a change. You bet. Thanks, guys. All righty, Keith Jones uh, with the Florida State basketball team. Big one tonight on the road at uh, Louisville, as you know. Another, uh, you know, you got to you got to keep caffeinating maybe not this late in the day but uh you're just going to be you're gonna have to caffeinate tomorrow probably after you stay up and watch this game is what the deal is all right step aside come back much more to come here on the front row Listening to the front row with Tom Locke and Keith Jones only on 97.9 ESPN Radio. Here's Tom and Keith. Back on the front row. Thanks to Keith Jones for joining me from Louisville. As I mentioned, he'll be back in the studio next week. We are going to continue the conversation in Louisville momentarily. I do need to apologize that I'm going to sound like a or look like a NASCAR driver's uh, tracksuit right now because I failed to mention that uh, portions of this program are brought your way by Madison Social. So uh, I need to do that as we also welcome our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt. Madison Social, by the way, has a uh, viewing party tonight for this 9 o'clock game, which probably will be a good time. Uh, if you're into trivia, I always tell you that they do trivia nights on Tuesdays. I would be of no help to select me on your team based on their topics. Next week is Harry Potter night, uh, and I would absolutely be no help on that one. Uh, last night apparently was Adele. I would have been no help on that one either. Tim Linnefeld, our Seminoles.com insider, joins us now. Tim, could you have uh, helped the audience at uh, Madison Social for either of those trivia occasions? Yeah, you know, I, I don't think so. I know kind of, you know, the main characters and storyline of Harry Potter, but if you're going to, you know, get into the deeper cuts, uh, I'm, I'm not going to be of much help. And then, and then Adele, uh, you know, I know like the two songs, I guess, that I know, and then that's about all I got. So. Which is too bad because I really do enjoy most uh, most trivia nights, but but those uh, those topics aren't exactly in my wheelhouse. So, moral of the story, folks: if you're at Madison Social, it's a Tuesday, and you happen to see Tim or I there, you, chances are you don't want to select us for your trivia team, at least if those are the <laughs> topics. Uh, Tim is our Seminoles.com insider, and uh, Seminoles.com is obviously the place to go for news about all Florida State athletics. And uh, in in the case of today, Tim. Uh, you're on the road with the basketball team, uh, chronicling, I suppose, the trip to Louisville or just covering the game this evening. But this is a big opportunity for the Knowles. Oh, absolutely. And it's funny, man, just how much things 
can shift in a basketball season, right? You know, you go from the end of December where they're, they're reeling off win after win, posting that big win over Florida, then contrast that with the three-game losing streak, and you had everybody's kind of doom and gloom. And now a, a week later, there's two big wins, one over a nationally ranked Virginia, and everybody's kind of back in the saddle again, if you will. So, yeah, this definitely feels like a big opportunity, both this game and the uh, Pittsburgh game this weekend to kind of reassert yourself in the – you know, perhaps the upper echelon in the ACC and, and start making that run for the NCAA tournament because, you know, it, it'll be here before you know it. You know, you, you bring up an interesting point because it, to me, Florida State basketball in terms of support from the Tallahassee community has been – uh, it's been chicken and the egg a little bit. You know, if, if the crowd would come out, Florida State might be more successful. But if they were more successful, the crowd would come out. And we're, we're sort of right in that situation again. If Florida State gets a win tonight, that's three in a row and Pitt comes to town. And I get the sense that the Tucker Center would be buzzing uh, pretty good at a, at a four o'clock reasonable time. You can bring the kids to the game on Saturday. They lose tonight. It, it's kind of like one step forward, one step back, I guess, is what I'm making. And maybe that's just the nature of the beast, especially in the ACC. I don't, that's not really a question so much as a comment for me. Well, then allow me to agree with you. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think you're definitely right, and, and we've seen that before. You know, it wasn't all that long ago that the Florida State was winning the ACC tournament and making runs to the Sweet 16, and, and, and you know, the, the fan support was there for that. But the fact of the matter is, and I don't think it's taboo to say, uh, Tallahassee, like a lot of towns in the South, are, they're just geared towards football. Even, you know, go down to Gainesville uh, with all the success that Florida's basketball program has had down there, especially in the last decade or so, it's still a football town. And, and when the team is doing well, the, the fan support will be there. And when it's not, then it's a little bit more of an uphill climb. But I think the, the key to changing that is, is sustained, consistent success. And, and, you know, certainly winning a few games in a row over nationally ranked ACC opponents with some name cachet, if you will, it's, it's a, definitely a good start for that. Well, they got an opportunity tonight against Louisville. How do you see this uh, matchup, or what do you see as the keys in this game tonight? I think it's going to be a tough one, honestly. And not to say that Florida State can't be successful, but I think that Louisville's probably a tougher matchup uh, for Florida State than Virginia was. Uh, they play really good defense. They love to pressure the ball. They love to, to press and, and cause turnovers. And, you know, if Florida State teams in years past, that would be a really big issue. So I'm actually kind of interested to see, you know, how Dwayne Bacon, how Malik Beasley handles that environment, not just the, the action on the court, but this is probably the, the, biggest college basketball environment, I guess you could say, that either of those guys will have played in. I know they played in the O'Connell Center a few uh, few weeks ago down in Gainesville, but, but otherwise, just, you know, will, will they rise to the occasion? Will, you know, what will the stage be like? And will they, will they be able to keep their heads on straight if, you know, Louisville is able to force some turnovers, get some baskets in transition, the, the crowd gets loud and it gets a little dicey in there? Will, they, will, will the young guys on this team, not just Bacon and Beasley, able to you know exhale catch their breath and, and get back to what they know they can do because because they're certainly capable i think of playing uh with anybody in the country it's just a matter of of doing that you know in, in and of the moment i guess well and when the acc season opened the moment was too big or the stage too big against north carolina who's a very good team uh it, at least in retrospect that's how it appears for the for this this team but you know they have played having said that they have played well uh, they don't have bad. They don't have blemishes on the resume. They played well in Gainesville. Uh, they won a nine o'clock game last week at NC State. I know that's not Louisville, but it's a road conference midweek game. You know the Iowa game uh, loss looks better, uh, which is again hard to hard to say when you come from a football mentality, if you will. But it looks better at this point. So I think there's some some indicators there. But yeah, because they're young, you just don't know if they get down fifteen to two. Is that it, or do they come back? Right, exactly. And so that's kind of what I'm going to be watching to see. Uh, and, you know, the other thing I thought was really encouraging from Sunday, and it gets different when you're at home, but, you know, of course they've had some opportunities against Virginia to kind of pack it in and say, well, we gave it a good try, but this is a nationally ranked team and they're just too good for us. Uh, and they didn't do that. You know, they, they withstood sort of Virginia's best punch. Uh, most impressively, they made their shots down the stretch, both free throws and from the field, made some uh, some really big shots to, to hold them off. And, I think, you know, the, not to make everybody roll their eyes, but when you talk about how important confidence is, especially for a team this young, just to say, hey, we made those shots, we made those plays when it mattered, we know we can do it, to have that in the back of your mind when you're going into a venue like you are tonight uh, at Louisville, I think is really valuable. Well, they certainly have guys that can make shots, and Malik Beasley's the ACC Freshman of the Week for the second time this year. Bacon's done it three times. I mean, they're obviously going to be slam dunks, pun intended, to be on the uh, the all-conference or the all-rookie team for the ACC. 
What um, I, I don't want to I don't know if impresses is the right word, but what stands out to you about sort of the evolution or the growth of both Bacon and Beasley thus far? Uh, well, I can tell you from talking to I talked to Dwayne Bacon. Uh, I guess it was Monday after the Virginia game, and, and he stressed the importance of the defense. Uh, I mean, more so than, than anything he does on the offensive, and I think he's the proudest of the way that both he is picking up Coach Hamilton's defense and then the way the team is starting to defend better. And, and we see, look, it's, it's no coincidence that when FSU lost three straight games, uh, they were having a really tough time defending. I and mean, you saw it in the North Carolina game. Obviously, Carolina's talented, but I don't think anybody on Florida State was satisfied with their defensive effort that night. Uh, the same goes for that Miami game, at least stretches of the Miami game, and also Clemson. You know, you saw where they were, were leaving three-point shooters wide open, uh, and then, of course, they were knocking them down. That's the kind of thing that, that drives Leonard Hamilton crazy. And so uh, it, it shouldn't come as a surprise that now that Florida State has strung some wins together, uh, their defense has also improved uh, exponentially. They, they've held both Virginia and NC State under 40% shooting from the field. Uh, they hadn't done that. I looked it up. It had been five straight games since they had held an opponent under 40% from the field. The last to do it was uh, Charleston Southern. So, uh, you know, I, I think that when you, when you look at Bacon and Beasley – Back in November, we were saying, oh, man, you know, these, these guys are great scorers. They're ton of fun to watch on offense, but they're going to have some problems uh, on defense in the ACC if they don't tighten that up. And, of course, they did. Well, you know, now it seems like maybe it's starting to come together, which is really good news for, for FSU because, one, they're, they're still scoring, uh, and the fact that they're also defending is an extremely positive development. We're talking with our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeld, who's on the road at Louisville, just as Keith Jones uh, is as uh, we continue on the front row. Tim, let's let's uh, switch gears a little bit. Uh, women's basketball hosts Virginia tomorrow night, and it looks like Sue's team has got uh, – or Sue's got her team, you know, chugging towards the tournament again, uh, obviously. Do you know – did they put in to try and, and host the postseason again, or what's your thoughts on what you've seen out of women's hoops so far this year? Uh, yes, they, they are, I believe, bidding for uh, to host again. I think they, they really enjoyed – the event last year and that was a lot of fun i don't know if you if you made it out there or not for those games i guess you would have um and, and that was a pretty cool scene getting uh what was a essentially full tucker center a, a lot of support there and i think being able to replicate that would be would be pretty neat and and uh and yeah it was uh they seem to have kind of got things rolling a, a little bit now they were uh i guess some early season struggles if you while the while they were sort of figuring out i think i think the chemistry uh, on this year's team, just took a little bit of time to figure out. Uh, really, I mean, you lost Megan Conright from last year's team, who was was really, uh, I mean, she was kind of a glue type of player, a, a fifth year senior who everybody I think sort of looked up to. Who, oh by the way, was also a really talented scorer, probably their best three point shooter. And so, you know, when you say, oh, this team that was literally seconds from the final four, all they have to do is replace one starter, uh, they're going to be gold. Well, depending on which one starter you have to replace, that could be pretty tough, but. But since then, they've reeled off four straight wins. Seem to have been able to, to kind of just make just seem like they're playing more together, playing like they trust each other a little bit more. Um, and so that's definitely a really good thing. And, and I think it's just that program is the model of consistency. I think anymore. So it's no surprise that you know any, any type of issues that you have to work out over the course of the season. I think uh, Coach Sue has has shown that she's able to do that. And it seems like they're they're coming around the corner now. Regarding your comment about replacing one starter, see Winston comma Jameis for that one we, <laughs> exactly we get the exactly. perspective the other the other thing uh, I'll, I, have you uh, had a chance to talk with the baseball guys at all i know practice uh, officially starts and i mean they're they're out there but i think full practice starts on january 29th so we're not we're not too far away you know i, I haven't had a chance to make it out there yet aside from uh, shooting the breeze a little bit here and there with our buddy jason latermi uh the, of course he now former florida state baseball sid but, but he's been pretty close so we've got to around the horn, if you will, but I haven't had a chance to get over there too much yet. That's, uh, that's on the agenda coming up. I'm not sure where you just moved, Tim, but it sounded like you went through a tunnel, over a bridge, behind a telephone pole, into a blizzard, then into a car, and maybe onto the team bus. So with uh, all- none of those things happened. I literally just got up from my chair in my hotel room and, and stood up. But I, maybe I should sit back down. Well, I don't, we're we're about finished with this segment anyway, so you can be on so your way and do do whatever you like. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Tim, enjoy the game tonight. That Yum Center will be a great atmosphere, and uh, we'll see if Florida State can uh, do the unexpected tonight. Hey, I appreciate it, Tom. We'll uh, we'll keep in touch. All right, that's our Seminoles.com insider, 
Tim Linnefelt, uh, who you may recall joined us from the can earlier this year. I don't remember what game that was. At least it sounded like it. That was about midseason, and uh, he continues to be in, in midseason form. We'll come back and uh, talk about some new happenings to the Florida State football program. Uh, you may be aware that the, there's a brand new Players Lounge, which the best way to describe this is it's the ultimate man cave. I mean, if money was no object and you could put in a however many square foot man cave, I mean, that thing's got to be 1,500 square feet, probably more. 2,500, I don't know. This is what you would do. Trust me. We'll hear about it when we come back on the front row. In the Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. back it is a jam-packed show on this edition of the front row as i mentioned uh, and as you know if you've been listening the full time keith jones is on the road with the basketball team at louisville he'll be back in studio next week uh, tim linnefelt uh, also in louisville he joins us each and every week uh, here on the front row but uh, we're gonna we're gonna bounce back away from basketball and into football which obviously dominates the conversation quite frequently here on the front row and in tallahassee airwaves and uh, i'm gonna welcome mark robinson to the program now mark is the director of football operations at, at fsu and uh, there's plenty to talk about. This is behind-the-scenes type stuff, so I'm excited about this interview. Mark, how are you doing? Doing great, thank you. I'm gonna. This is a really broad question, but I feel I have a role at the university in advancement, and a lot of what I do is is sort of behind-the-scenes logistics that, uh, you know, important stuff, but, you know, people may not realize that you have your hands in it. I, I feel like that's sort of what your role is as director of football operations, but I'll let you expound upon what, what exactly that entails. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, really, everything uh, that happens off the field, I have my hands on. So whether it's um, the players' housing situations, players' tickets, um, the liaison with academics, with compliance, team travel, um, the bowl logistics, the um, football facilities, all that stuff um, kind of falls underneath me. So a lot of stuff just making sure everything behind the scenes gets taken care of and, and complete. Well, and one of the things that's behind the scenes to the average fan, but uh, not to the players, is uh, sort of their new home. And it was completely coincidental that I happened to be in the Athletic Center last week. And I thought, well, let me just nose up here and see what this new Players Lounge looks like. I didn't know it was going to be the grand opening, as it turned out. I described it in our previous segment as the ultimate man cave. I don't know if that's what you had in mind, but uh, just kind of walk our listeners through, uh, you know, What's the reason for a player's lounge like this? And then, and then what, what's involved in it, you know, what it features? It is. It, um, we think the same thing. It's, it probably is the ultimate man cave. Um, we wanted to give you know, our student-athletes um, every resource possible. A lot of times they're up here and they have, um, you know, they have an hour in between class and study hall. Or they have an hour between class and when our um, you know, position meeting starts. So we wanted to give them a place they can go just for them where they can you know, take a nap, they can watch TV, they can play video games, they can play pool, um, they can work on homework. If they want to bring food up there and eat lunch, they can. You know, just kind of a little private area for the football players to, to enjoy and uh, be able to spend time together. Well, now, when you go out and, and decide that this is what you're going to do, and, and I know that in the – and our listeners are astute, too. They, they follow recruiting. And, uh, you know, in big-time college athletics, sometimes you hear the phrase arms race, you know, as, as you're trying to keep up with everybody else and, and what an Alabama may have or an Oregon may have. But when you, when you know that you're charged with the task of creating a player's lounge, uh, you know, what does that drawing board look like? I mean, do you and Jimbo sit down? Do the coaches? Do you get feedback from the players? I mean, how do you draw that up? And and, and what other schools do you look at to try and get your your blueprint? We always both um, Jimbo and myself. We kind of keep a notebook on facilities, and we always, whenever we have an idea of something, whether you get from another school or even you know, a lot of times we see stuff at hotels or you see stuff when you're on the road, and you just say, I like that, and you put it in the notebook under players' lounge. You put it under, you know. Um, under the locker room or things like that, and just always keep it for when the time comes that you're going to build this. Um, we did bring in several players, you know, different age, freshmen, sophomore, juniors from different areas of the state and stuff like that, and get their feedback because we wanted it to be we wanted it to be a wow factor, but at the same time we want the players to enjoy it. Um, so 
So it was a long process of us gathering information, deciding what we want in there, and then how we're going to make it you know, the best in the country and also make it functional. And then the other thing we've done, whenever we've done a facility here, is we didn't want to show them a picture and say, you know, make our players' lounge look like this school's players' lounge. We want ours to be the best, and we want it to be unique. Well, congratulations on getting that done. And I know it, uh, it, it sort of, well, I don't know if it completes because I'm sure there's something else uh, in the queue, but it, it adds to a list that uh, over the last few years includes uh, the indoor practice facility, uh, the Allen uh, Judy Dunlap indoor practice facility. The, the locker room has, has been uh, expanded. Uh, there's a, a new player's dorm. I, I guess it's just all part of what it is now at this level. And you've been a, a director of football operations at a couple of other uh, institutions. Were they already at this point, or has this been a new kind of the last five or ten years phenomenon that we're really getting this far into player development? And I feel like the answer to that probably goes to Jimbo when he was with Nick because I know he's told me that, that Nick was really one of the first guys, Coach Saban, that, that was so big on all the off-the-field aspects in the player development. Yeah, this is, you know, the player development started, you know, some of the you know, the oversight stuff has been around where you have these really nice locker rooms and stuff like that. But over the last few years, it's kind of gone to the next level where you have your know, players' lounges, you have these football dorms and things like that. It, um, and it's not going to stop it. It's just going to keep – yeah, once we think, if we sit back and relax, we're going to get passed by other schools. So every year something new is going to come out, and so you just got to keep up. Talking with Mark Robinson, who's the director of football operations for Florida State. And uh, uh, forgive me, I forget what uh, website or agency uh, tabbed you as the uh, the national uh, director of football ops of the year, but congratulations. You can update your resume now, right? Yeah, absolutely. The, the night it happened. Thank you. <laughs> I'm curious, and I don't know if this is necessarily the trend in, in football, but I know in some other sports, a lot of times a, an ops guy or a football or, or basketball ops guy might have ambitions to transition to becoming an on-field coach, but you've, you've been a director of football ops at a couple of places, so is that something that uh, you aspire to or not necessarily? Not necessarily. This is, I like what I do now. I get just enough football, just enough film that you know, keeps me satisfied, but I get to do all the other stuff. I love interacting with people, and if I got into coaching, I wouldn't be able to do as much interacting. You'd still deal with people a lot, but not as much as I do, and I really enjoy that. I enjoy getting to know all the players on the team, their families, um, you know, the staff around the university and, and the athletic department. That's really what I enjoy doing. Should point out, by the way, that Mark Robinson played uh, football. He was an offensive lineman at Appalachian State in the late 90s and early 2000s. Uh, so how in the world did, did, did App State get a home game with Miami this coming year? You know, I have no idea, but uh, very excited for them. And uh, you know, Miami got lucky that it's early in the year because there's some cold nights in uh, Boone, North Carolina. And um, so I know that Miami's going to be happy when that game's you know, not in November. I think they'll be happy with the, the weather. I, I'm curious. You said you've got a role in everything behind the scenes. So does that involve any of the scheduling talk? And and uh, if you if you it's just you and I talking right now. So if you want to share any details of the upcoming schedule, feel free. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, you know, uh, the schedule, it all starts with non-conference games. And so really for us, you know, you're already locked into the Florida game every year since so the other three. And then we work back and forth um, with, uh, you know, the, the conference office, Monk Bonasort and myself. And, um, you know, it goes back and forth because they, they'll throw ideas out at you. And, you know, are you interested in a Thursday night game? Are you wanting, you know, just the the different parts of it but at the end of the day it's really the conference putting together once you give them your non-conference games it's working around that can't you just um, can't you just send them a note that says no we're not interested in a thursday night road game <laughs> yeah, exactly. and, 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 and we've tried <laughs> move that to next year too yeah uh, exactly just, we, we just don't even date it we just put in there you know, <laughs> just, just roll with it just roll with it and well when yeah. when do you and i know it comes out from the acc when do you think the schedule will be out for 2016 we're hoping um, before the end of the month, so yeah. hopefully within the next 10 days or so. All right, so we're, we're close on, on the schedule for yeah. there. Um, yeah. we're, we're talking with Mark Robinson from Florida State. So you, regardless of uh, you know when the, the, the games are going to be played, you know where FSU's playing. So you, uh, at this time of year, I guess, are doing site visits and picking out hotels and practice locations or times and all that kind of stuff, uh-huh. going back to where we started in terms of what the logistical uh, part of your job is. Yes, right now you are, and then – you know, you have an idea of when some road games are, and you know, every now and then you run into, like, you know, two years ago when we played at Louisville, they had that National um, uh, Future Farmers of America uh, convention. So every now and then you get in a jam where the hotel you've been talking to isn't available because you find out the game, and so you have to 
uh, kind of go back and find other hotels. But you know, right now, unless there's anything crazy where the um, schedule gets shifted around, I think we're in good shape with all of our hotels and you know, staying at places we stayed at before. Um, so that's a good part of And you know, everywhere we play this year on the road, we've been to before. There's no new teams like Louisville was two years ago. So we like to stay at hotels where we've had success in the past. Um, so normally we'll stay at the same hotel if we won the two years ago. Yeah, that, I was going to ask you that next. I mean, if if it was a win two years ago, is it automatic that that's the next hotel? And if it was a loss, is it automatic that you're changing hotels? It's not automatic, but it's pretty close. We're going to stay to the same. Uh, we're pretty superstitious, so we'll stay at the same hotel, probably the same steak knife and everything. But um, <laughs> we don't uh, we don't like to go away from superstition. And if something didn't work, usually we throw it out and start from the drawing board. Yeah, understand. All right, I'll let you go on this. Mark Robinson, the Director of Football Operations at FSU. So you've got the Players' Lounge open uh, conveniently with a, in time for a couple of weekends of recruits to come in before signing day, uh, which I'm sure was, was part of the plan. But what's next on the docket now that, uh, you know, you've done the locker rooms, you have an IPF, you have the residence hall, you have the Players' Lounge? Um, we're always just looking at better, you know, better the student-athlete experience. So, um, you know, we have some ideas of things we want to do to improve our weight room, the uh, academic um, academic areas, whether study hall and lounge areas are for academics. So we'll get together as a as a football staff with our administrative with the uh, Seminole Boosters and come up with a plan, uh, you know, for training the players and for the um, uh, academic support staff to give them the best facilities possible. Sounds good. Thanks so much for uh, you know giving us a little peek behind the curtain here because you, like I said at the at the start, you do a lot of things that people have no idea what you're involved in. Uh, but I appreciate it and uh, keep up the good work, Mark. Thank you very much. Pleasure being with you. All righty. Thanks to uh, Mark Robinson, the uh, the football ops uh, director of the year, according to, again, whatever public. You don't know how hard I had to work through his publicist. I mean, it took it, – it was a long process to get him to spend a couple minutes with us. So you guys uh, are, are very fortunate in that regard. we got to wrap up the show. We'll do that after this. Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979ESPNRadio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. And once again, Keith will be back next week. He's uh, on the road uh, courtside for tonight's game at the Yum Center with Louisville. So uh, I'll wrap things up. Uh, Tom Lang, we started this show talking about 900 hotlines in recruiting. And here we are. That was in the early 90s. 25 years later, we've evolved to the ultimate man cave, which is uh, part of what college football and college athletics landscape is these days. Several thousand square feet, an arcade, a pool table, big enough couches to handle D1 athletes that, you know, play in the trenches. It's um, it's something that I wish the media was available to use, you know, we're allowed to use during afternoon availabilities and things like that. Yeah, they, we'll, we'll see if we can talk to them about expanding the press box. I'm sure I, I know where that'll go on the list there. Well, since, I mean, you booked Mark and you brought him on, I think a solid should be traded back from the university this way. I, I do want to be clear for those, and, and if you're listening to this show, you're probably not in this category, but this is not Florida State. This is the way college, and, and we're at the end of our show, but this is the college athletics landscape. And if you want to compete at the highest level, this is what you do. Mark did nothing to dispel the notion that the arms race is real. I mean, he says, all right, we have this, but you can't rest on your laurels. You have to think about the next project. And that goes hand in hand with the way Jimbo is, the way Saban is. It's always about the process and the next thing. It just so happens it's to the player's benefit that the process keeps going. Yeah, so really it's a much bigger conversation, which we can't do now. But if, you want, if, if you're not in favor of that, uh, then really you've got to go back to letting it all exist and you got to start talking about salary caps for coaching staffs or coaches or limits on how much programs can spend and that's a whole nother show and can of worms but that's the root of the problem that's a front row tradition in the final segment right it is it is we like to leave you hanging and i know it's a long time between now and six o'clock next wednesday folks but uh, you're just gonna have to hang on the edge of that lazy boy in your man cave and keith and i'll be back by your side next week at this time thanks for joining us uh enjoy the game tonight everybody i'll talk to you next week Everybody.